Sing, goddess, the, the anger of when Peleus, God son of Achilles. And the earth. Tell me the about a complicated to me equal to the gods that man. On a hang, a thousand bucklers. Man is Agamemnon. My husband is just the work delivery. Gentlemen, I'm worse. Would you not forget it? Ever can destroy. Be to govern the peoples of the world in your empire. Hello. How is everyone? Today we will be discussing. Um, arguably the best novel in Lit Hub. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> in my opinion. But I haven't even taken Lit Hub, so <laughs> why am I speaking? <laughs> uh, Song of Solomon. And I will be leading the discussion. This is Faven, by the way. And we will be joined by... Hey guys, it's Ben. Artist, you're here. Tina. Still here, Timothy. Nice, nice, nice. Faven. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this might be your last episode. It is. Well, we'll be recording another one, right? To wrap up the semester. Yeah, but I haven't but I haven't decided who will be on that one yet. Oh. Well, <laughs> I guess I will be. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward pause. <laughs> I haven't decided for sure, but I haven't thought about it either. So, this ben, is... Ben, you'll probably be there because you've, you've been in like every episode for like the past two months yeah <laughs> wow he has he's, he's been a loyal member let's just start off back what did you guys think of the book the novel if you read it like a while ago why did you think what did you think of it when you first read it and have you read any of Toni Morrison's books before uh I I've never read um anything by Toni Morrison before I, I just finished this book literally a couple hours ago um I thought it was so good um, it was really complex, like so much layered meaning that I'm really excited to get into and to learn more about because there's so many questions that I have. Um, but the writing is incredible and the story was, um, really original. It wasn't like anything I've ever read before. So mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Um, I read the book, uh, in Lidham last year. Um, I hadn't read anything by Toni Morrison before either. And I was looking back at it as well um, a little while ago uh, to prepare for the podcast. And yeah, I agree with what Ben said. It's very rich. It's very intricately layered. There's so many themes. I mean, it's kind of inherent in the themes, you know, of generational legacies and so on and how it all ties together. So it's very complex. And uh, that's one thing I remember from it. Yeah. Mm. This is my second Toni Morrison book. The first oh. one I read is The Bluest Eye. Oh, yeah. And there are definitely similar themes that Morrison explores and she also experiments I feel like with different modes of storytelling uh I've more apparent in the bluest eye but the one thing that struck me about both of those novels was how raw the emotion she presented was I feel like there's no sugar coating and she presents how um black people live in America in their original form and that's very powerful when I read this book, I was uh, at home because we had just been sent home oh. during the pandemic at the very start. And all of our classes were pass failed. So it didn't matter too much how deeply I read the book. And all of our conversations about it were on Zoom. So they weren't very rich. And also, I knew I wasn't going to write a paper on it. So I wasn't too interested in it. So I remember very, very little about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm just here to to see what other people think, I guess. 
but I'm just here to listen. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought I thought Toni Morrison's writing uh, was really good, um, but I wasn't particularly compelled too much by the the narrative she was she was writing. Okay, well that's really interesting. I agree with you guys. Um, you guys several times you have mentioned that there is some layering to her work in terms of like theme, and then Tina, you also mentioned this like rawness. Um, and emotions that are um, felt by the characters in her novels. Um, and so let's just talk about how she starts this novel. Um, uh, so she opens a novel with a man, an insurance agent, Robert Smith, um, attempting to fly um, by jumping off a, a roof, a hospital building, the roof of a hospital building. At the same time as he's attempting to jump off the roof, Booth Foster, one of the main characters in this novel, is getting ready to give birth. Why do these events happen at the same time? And why does Toni Morrison decide, choose to start off her novel this way? What is the point Morrison is making about life and death as these two things are happening at the same time? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think that his, uh, Mr. Smith's death, jumping off the roof, uh, causes... Uh, the birth right I think it, I think she says like explicitly at one point is that um, when he jumped she went into labor like immediately yeah. um, and so I think uh, Toni Morrison is kind of drawing out this idea of resurrection what timely time to what timely uh, <laughs> day to yeah. talk about that tomorrow is uh, Easter as we're recording this um, but I mean we can talk about that a little bit more with the names of the characters I believe that they also point towards the resurrection of Christ uh, mm -hmm. particularly first Corinthians and Pilate and Mary Magdalene's names mm. um, so, but I think this is a, a theme throughout that characters will die and come back to life or that in some way somebody's death will um, bring new life uh, indirectly and a lot of times it's ambiguous and it's unclear what we should exactly think about that but um, it's a very interesting theme to explore yeah, Ruth is giving birth to Milkman. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely just a, I mean, the book ends on a scene of flying as well. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, not to spoil it. I assume everyone listening has read this book, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so it is a very, yeah, this act of flying that leads to death at the very moment of his birth. I mean, he's also kind of, he's always meant to fly in a way uh, or mm. to imitate that. It's very fateful, just the literary um, set up here that, mm. you know, um, yeah, from the beginning, he was on this track to end up at this uh, attempting to fly himself. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I feel like it's also mixing um, the conventional meanings or interpretations of life and death. We usually assume death to be dark and morbid and just assume life to be of hope and yeah, mainly of hope, but over here, the two are very mixed. And I remember in the beginning of the novel, there's also, was it the lullaby that's about flying? Um, and that seems to be son Sugar to children. Milk. Yeah, it seems to be, it, it seems as if it's supposed to be something hopeful and happy, but it's mixed in the scene where uh, everyone's surrounding the hospital to watch what's happening. And it's mixed with the pains of giving labor and the, very much I remember how Morrison writes it it is it was very hard to follow from what I recall so I feel like it's just complicating our understandings of life and death they're they aren't one-dimensional mm. and I feel like 
that's a theme that is explored throughout the book just how one person's life and one person's death influence each other and how that leads how that shapes a whole person's life going going back to the idea of resurrection that, that ben was talking about i think i think it's really interesting that you have this this theme of flight um which which you were touching on artashir and i think in this scene in particular um it has less of a sense of death um and and more of a sense of uh ascension um like you know like jesus's own ascension um and i think you know at the at the final scene as well too you kind of get this feeling that it's not so much an a sense of death as ascending to something higher although i think that's interesting because while that's sort of what is expected in this opening scene that's not what actually happens Mm -hmm. right instead of ascending he goes the opposite direction and ends up dead Mm -hmm. um and so i think that's sort of an interesting framework to then think about flight for the rest of the novel is this attempt to um sort of escape that mortal limit that when you try and fly you fall and hit the ground and instead to try and reach heavenward and ascend uh in flight instead of constantly falling back to death yeah that's really great that's really great um and i guess i want to ask you guys um what is the result or the consequence of um of those in the novel that dare to fly so what was the consequence of solomon um Mm -hmm daring to fly and milkman's and pilot as well and who succeeded and who did not succeed in that attempt uh, to fly i think that's a really interesting question faven um that's you know uh, the consequences of these actions are really juxtaposed throughout the whole book between the good and the bad effects that they have um to kind of build off of what tim and tino were saying you know, uh, Robert Smith's death here in the beginning is described so beautifully with this language of freedom and the rose petals and the silky blue wings. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he's doing is quite tragic. And so you have this conflict between the sense of freedom, um, but also the tragedy of the loss of a human life. Um, I think that throughout this novel, uh, the men really embody this um, quest to be free um, and to fly, to fly away. Um, but the women seem to embody uh, more of a sense of duty and in a way, a different kind of flight, right? There's um, continually, every time a man, whether it be Solomon or Milkman or Robert Smith at the beginning here, flies away, it causes pain for the women that they leave behind and the families that they leave. Yeah. Um, I think Solomon in particular really draws this out, right? Where he literally flies away in this really interesting moment of like magical realism. He flies away, goes back to Africa. Um, But in doing that, he abandons... 21 children and his wife and his wife goes crazy um, because she doesn't know what to do Um, and so there is something very beautiful about him escaping um, but there's something very very tragic about him leaving his family and it's complicated Um, same thing um, right at the very end you know she makes this comment that um, milkman realizes the the reason he loves his uh, aunt pilot uh, is because he realizes that she was flying the whole time without ever yes, leaving the ground. Yes. Uh, and that's so beautiful. But Pilot is not anything like any of the other characters who fly. She is very grounded. She is very focused on the family. Um, and she is a very realist, very pragmatic person. 
Um, and so there's kind of a, a competing sense of flight in which she does something equally beautiful um, just by being loyal and looking out for her family. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember. I think, Faven, you pulled this quote. And also, as I was, as I was looking back through the uh, through the novel, isn't Pilot the one who's kind of tethered by this idea you can't just fly on off and leave a body behind? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And she's tethered by the sense of obligation yep. or duty to yeah, her father, also to her family. So um, yeah, Her daughter. Her daughter. And so how is Pilot able, how is she able to, I guess, fly and escape what these other characters are also attempting to escape? Um, how is she able to fly without ever leaving the, leaving the ground? I think you see a lot of Pilot um, kind of defying expectations, right? It, um, Morrison loves to bring up the fact that she has no navel, um, mm, and that this is navel. really, <laughs> in some way, a, a central aspect of the story, right? Where um, the fact that she doesn't have a belly button leads her to be rejected by like all these groups of people just for being <laughs> <Yeah>. weird. <laughs> um, and but she like overcomes that through family, right? She has mm-hmm. a daughter, and her daughter has a daughter. Um, and they together kind of form their own life. And she not only looks out for her daughters, you know, her last words are to ask Milkman, who has been terrible to her, um, to look after her daughter. Um, but she Thank also you. looks out for the rest of her family. You know, she's the mm-hmm. kind of character who heals bonds and, um, you know, is not, not so concerned about what outsiders think as so much as um, doing what's best for the people yeah. she loves. Yeah. I kind of interpreted Pilot's um, ability to to fly, um, I guess, with the fact that she was able to ex- uh, escape convention. Because, uh, like you said, Ben, she was never accepted into any kind of society because she was weird. And, you know, she didn't have a navel. <laughs> so she was someone that God did not create was one of the things that a couple people have said in the novel. The ladies that were amongst her um, kicked her out because they didn't want to be amongst someone that, god did not create um and so in this way she was able to escape convention and she was um always moving from one place to another she had a daughter and she didn't have a husband and then her daughter had another daughter and she did not have a husband reba didn't have a and so they lived this kind of unconventional life that her brother making dead despised and he tried to stay away from her because he valued the conventional life of you know having a family and owning property and providing um and yet, we see that it's those, I guess maybe there's an argument Morrison is trying to make in this novel, but those that are um, leading conventional lives seem to be the ones that are trying to escape or to fly. So what are these characters flying from? What are they seeking? What is Milkman seeking? What is making dead his dad seeking? What is um, What was Solomon seeking? Um, all of these people and Robert Smith as well. What are they seeking in this uh, in this attempt to escape this life by flying? Still thinking about the question. I just think we have to appreciate the puns and the names as well, uh, just because they're there. You know, pilot has mastered flying, but mm. um, you know, and wow, it's just the names are very significant. Um, I'll just say that. Uh, and making dead has not making yeah. dead. Yeah. Well. <laughs> well, for milkman. Um, we could see him throughout the novel being just weighed down by the responsibilities that his family puts on him. And maybe not that. Um, it could just be that the fact that he's he just feels stuck in this life that he's leading with his family. One of the 
quotes from the novel is um, he, Milkman, just wanted to beat a path away from his parents' past, which was also their present and which was also threatening to become his present as well. He hated the acridness in his mother's and father's relationship, the conviction of righteousness they each held onto both hands. In his, in his efforts to ignore it, transcend it, seemed to work only when he spent his days looking for whatever was light-hearted and without grave consequences. He avoided commitment and strong feelings and sh shied away from decisions. Yeah, that's really good, Faven. I think uh, when we talk about Milkman in his quest, um, I think it's really important to understand uh, Solomon and kind of this generational legacy that Solomon as the founder of the family leaves everybody. Um, you know, it's we don't know a ton about Solomon, even though the book is named after uh, Solomon. We don't; he's not introduced until close to the end. Um, it's kind of a mystery that Milkman is trying to find out. Um, but Solomon um, leaves his family, even though he has a good life, um, and it seems like perhaps it's that uh, same issue of uh, not wanting the responsibility of family or um, just longing for um, perhaps a, a better life, uh, a freer life. Uh, back back home um, you know he was a he was a freed man was a mm -hmm. slave um, and he's still kind of looking for that true freedom um, but the legacy that he leaves um, is I, I almost view it as a curse for the family right of mm -hmm. um, fatherlessness we see throughout in, in this whole family there is only one character who knows his father and that that is milkman mm -hmm. um, and that relationship is not great right I mean that's what you were describing right he doesn't um like his parents his parents view him as a means to their own ends and um throughout the novel we see more and more uh, milkman comes to just um personify all the worst parts of his father um, and take away nothing redeeming from him um so it's not it's not a healthy relationship and everybody else in his family has never met their father doesn't most of them don't even know their father's names um so it's not it's not um a happy legacy and yet um, milkman in learning about his uh, family heritage and where his family comes from and that he has all these other relatives who are genuinely very happy to see him and want him and love him uh, he does start to gain freedom through that um, he understands why things are the way they are and he draws strength from that I think it's significant that we see him being so weighed down and just continually trying to escape these um, things that are really uh, weighing him down until he learns about these things and then all of a sudden, then he can fly. And it doesn't seem as a means of escape anymore, um, but because he genuinely believes in a, a, the possibility of a better life. Yeah, um, for Milkman also specifically, I guess we could see this, I mean, through the lens basically of a coming of age novel um, type story. It's, uh, I mean, the trope, um, many different stories share this, It is you know, a young man, typically it is a man. Um, he goes out of society for a time or he tries to escape it, right? He escapes the specific um, bonds that tie him, like Fabian, you were saying, the duties he has um, toward those in his family, the legacy he's inheriting. Um, in this case, it's even a society that's um, against him, basically. And it's like he's trying to get out of that. Mm -hmm. um, and typically the way it works is he learns something, um, and then is able to return to it. So I don't know if we wanted to um, interpret his flight that way, if he learned to fly as Pilot did, um, being able both to live in relationship with other people in uh, imperfect communities and nevertheless um, still have this quest, this flight that's happening all along. 
um, then we could see it that way, uh, that sort of restoration. Um, that would be the arc of the novel. Great. Um, well, while we're on this topic of flight and escape, let's connect this to scripture. What is a book in the Bible that directly connects to this, <laughs> this topic of flight and escape and departure? Yeah, that's Exodus. <laughs> wow! <yay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I definitely uh, was reminded of Exodus uh, throughout this novel. You know, there are a few times that he refers to people as pharaohs, um, and later on in the book, um, Milkman um, is asking for bread uh, and water. That really reminded me of the Israelites begging for manna from heaven mm-hmm. um, and for God's sustenance. Uh, and so that was really significant, I think, to me to um, think about him trying to um, escape oppression. Um, and seek the the promised land. Um, but another book that I think also relates that I was reminded of was the book of Ruth. Mm. Um, you know, there, his mom is named Ruth, so she connects yes. there. Um, but Ruth, in a sense, is also about this um, conflict between um, wanting to, to leave for a better life and um, trying to stay in an unideal situation um, for the sake of somebody else. Um, and so... Uh, you know, uh, Ruth in the Bible um, marries this man who dies shortly later, um, and then she has the option to go back to her city where she'll uh, live a very happy and comfortable life, Um, but she chooses instead to live a hard life of um, traveling around the Middle East uh, with her uh, mother-in-law in in order to care for her, and so she's this great picture of loyalty and devotion, Uh, and so those those aren't exactly the same uh, types of escape, obviously, um, but I think they're both interesting to think about um, in terms of what's going through a milkman's head as he processes through these issues. Mm-hmm. So Ben, you're saying Exodus is like an escape from and Ruth is almost an escape to. Um, would that make sense? Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's interesting to to connect then Ruth and this idea of, of not just like piety and loyalty, but specifically filial piety and loyalty, right? That it's Ruth's... Um, familial obligation to follow her mother-in-law and then the redemption of the story right when boaz right the family redeemer decides to marry ruth um this is sort of a continuation of that picture right that he's being loyal to his family name um and so i i think that's sort of another interesting line you could draw there from from ruth yeah, great connections. And Toy Morrison um, was Catholic. And you guys can obviously tell that her Catholic Catholicism illuminates a lot of her fiction work. Um, so, Ben, you mentioned this um, briefly earlier, but why does she give the characters biblical names? What is what is the point she's trying to make by giving them names like First Corinthians and, yeah, Magdalene? Yeah, I, I thought of... Um too pilot big. and it's only the women too right it is oh i'm glad you mentioned that i didn't think about that um yeah i i think it's the names are really interesting right i i kind of divide the names into two categories those that um in the bible are associated with this um picture of familial love um and those that are associated with the resurrection and they all have kind of a different perspective on that right like hagar and ruth are very different approaches to filial love mm. um but 
you know, Hagar having an inappropriate uh, sexual relationship with Abraham um, and yet still being protected by God and Ruth having the sense of going above and beyond for duty to family and really uh, embodying the Christian ethic. Um, but um, altogether, they weave a, a very full picture of what um, the biblical concept of family looks like. Um, and then resurrection, you know, obviously you have Pilate who condemned Christ, Mary Magdalene who witnessed Christ's resurrection, um, and then First Corinthians who, to me, embodies both love and resurrection. You know, the two most famous chapters in First Corinthians are uh, the passage about love in First Corinthians yeah. 13 that's read every wedding, and First <laughs> Corinthians 15 that is like one of the greatest arguments for the importance of the crucifixion in mm-hmm. the Bible. Um, Res- resurrection. Resurrection. Sorry. Thank you, Tim. Um, and so... Um, I think, uh, to me, that really comes together in uh, one scene that not only really reminded me of the resurrection, but also of Exodus, um, where uh, Milkman is going back to this cave where Pilate and his father um, hid after they escaped um, this house. Um, And they uh, left some gold there. He's looking for the gold. And he crosses this river. Um, and it's really difficult for him. You know, he almost drowns, um, but he's just trying to get across. And it reminded me of the crossing of the Red Sea a bit. Um, and later on, he does find a bridge that made me think of Moses parting it. Um, but then he, okay. he gets to the cave and there is no gold in it. But there's not only is there no gold, um, he believes that there's supposed to be a body there because they thought that they killed a man and mm-hmm. left him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are no bones. Um, there are no bones in that cave. And so he walks out and he's reminded of Pilate who also returned to that cave uh, earlier. And when she was there, she saw the ghost of her father. Um, It really reminded me so strongly of um, the witnessing of Christ's resurrection at the cave. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked all of that. I didn't pick up on that. I did want to say to the point about all the women being given biblical names. Mm. And I think Fabian, you mentioned earlier, we were talking about this earlier, how, yeah, this family of women, this uh, Pilate's daughters, her granddaughter, they all are kind of outside things, unconventional lives. Um, yeah, it made me think of in Matthew 1, Christ's genealogy. Um, all the women, the only women who are named in that genealogy are precisely the ones who came from outside, who lived um, unconventional lives, to say the least. We have um, Rahab. We have um, Bathsheba, mm. we have Tamar. Um, yeah. You have this line of women who, you know, you wouldn't expect it from them uh, to be producing the Messiah, uh, the line of the Messiah, but those are the ones who are named, who are specifically yeah. included. So I think that's very interesting. That is very interesting. And uh, and I, I would argue that it's not only Pilate and Reba, which is short for Rebecca, in Hagar that are the unconventional women here, but also Ruth and First Corinthians and Magdalene, even though they're in this conventional family. I mean, Ruth is weird, you know? She's <laughs> accused of sleeping with her dad. And then First Corinthians and Magdalene are not married and they're in their 40s and they're trying to find love and, um, you know, have a purpose in life and still feeling tethered to their family even though they have no responsibility. Um, so all the women here are just very unconventional and yet, um we don't see them um trying to seek this liberation that the men are seeking um maybe they are in very small ways like um first corinthians you know being with um henry porter um and trying to find purpose there but 
um they tend to be more grounded than the men even Macon dead who seems to be very um comfortable in his conventional life and yet is he does not have peace no one likes him not his family nor his tenants um and he's trying to find this escape uh through his son his son's success and milkman obviously is wants to leave his family and guitar even even guitar is forsaking family life so he can go and kill white people um and all of them are forsaking their family so where it's important to to seek a purpose to seek a higher purpose whereas the women just tend to be more still um and yet morrison if you read her for like forward to the book she focuses this book this novel on the men even the quote she begins this book is um the fathers may soar and the children will know their names so the focus is on fathers and on men and yet ben you mentioned earlier not a lot of these characters have fathers the only one we see is bacon dead so it's interesting how this book is about fatherhood and yet a lot of these characters are lacking fathers trying to look it up i'm pretty sure she dedicates the book to her father as well mm. wow. yeah um I, li- I like that you bring up the forward it's a it's an amazing forward um but in it she talks about um how this uh book is the first book where she felt like she really had a muse and yeah or sure like you said it's it's her dad um you know when her dad died um how the her grieving process uh and reflecting on her dad's life is what inspired this book um it's the first book uh i believe it's the first book she wrote from a man's perspective and so this um difference between men and women was a very deliberate by her right a very deliberate shift in both in um narrative style and also um trying to draw out what the world looks like from a a man's perspective versus a woman's perspective this has all been very enlightening and i think i have a question um but before that it's just we see milkman's initial flight to escape his family and we also see his rejection of many members of of his family i think a big part is in his name he doesn't like being called milkman because it brings up um trauma in regards to his mother and his upbringing and that's also something i think he tries to run away from but the question is two parts it's that first by the end of the novel do we think that milkman achieves a different type of flight because he's becoming more like the woman and more broadly is there a call to be like the unconventional woman of the novel Mm. are they necessarily happier because look at them i feel like many of them are still very broken Mm. i think hagar is one of them um just her actions and behavior they seem to also cause pain and harm to others and herself i can't tell how content she is with her lifestyle so um is is there a solution to that Mm, very good question and we know that hagar was never really content with with the life she led because she wanted to be in a conventional home reba and pilot enjoyed this unconventional walking barefoot in the woods kind of lifestyle Mm. and they knew Hagar was different and she liked beautiful things and expensive things and she wanted to be in a family and honestly that's that's the reason they moved near Macon dead Mm -hmm. so that she could be part she could have access to a more conventional life um even though he kind of dismissed them um 
but I, I, I wouldn't say that Morrison is calling the men to be more, I guess, like the women. <laughs> but I think to kind of, um, because what we know about Milkman is that he becomes more um, at peace with himself after his journey. He becomes more empathetic, understanding of those around him. Before he was like his dad, cold and not being under not being able to understand what others around what the others around him needed from him um and he couldn't he couldn't care less when he um when hagar was like in distress and he, he was seeking um what was best for himself and yet after the trip after he learns more about his family and he has he you know embarked on this soul-searching journey he realizes that what matters most is to be is, is his family and to be back and in a way that is like flight for him flight from this need to be away um and from his community um i think i would say there's more of a call to return to one's family and um to be more grounded um but not i wouldn't say not a a call to be unconventional or lead unconventional lives like like the women are are leading because like you said they're not happy themselves ruth is not happy first corinthians and magdalene are not happy um reba's not happy she, she seeks for a man but she she can never settle down hagar is not happy pilot pilot is just weird i can't even <laughs> say anything about her uh, yeah yeah I, I think i agree with you faven um my interpretation of uh this ending where he seems to finally realize what's important um, is not that he becomes um, like the women in his family, but rather that he gets a different sense of purpose for mm-hmm. his life. Um, you know, when he when he makes that comment um, that he loved Pilot because she could fly without ever leaving the ground, he, he doesn't say that's why I want to be like. He says um, there must be another woman like that. Um, and so in that moment, we see this turn from... Um, his all of his other relationships in the book where he's um, very much a womanizer and has multiple relationships at the same time and never really takes any of them seriously mm-hmm. um, to really seeking commitment and wanting to build a community and family of his own. Um, and so I think he becomes more grounded uh, in his own family and in knowing his heritage. Um, and also, uh, you know, like Faven, you were saying, he has now a desire to return and to build up that community, you know, like, uh, versus how, um, guitar views it, you know, like the scene, the book literally ends with him fighting guitar and that being his fight, um, where he's kind of rejects family and he says, I'm just going to, um, seek this kind of scientific mathematical justice, um, at, at any and all costs to relationships and um, our community. Um, and he, he rejects that. And he says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to uh, build something that is uh, special and particularly meaningful, rooted in um, my history and my heritage and, um, you know, a community based on, on love and seeking things that are truly fulfilling. And that would make sense uh, because the book is dedicated to fathers and we discussed um, the problem of fatherlessness in, in this community and Morrison is calling the fathers, I guess through Milkman, to return, to be present in their family lives. That is the only liberation or um, the liberation that they're really seeking. It's not to just fly off to some um, somewhere aimless, but to be grounded, to return and um, 
to build on that theme, it's really important that Robert Smith at the beginning of the book, you know, we don't know this at the time, but what we learn um, is that he uh, kills himself because he is part of the same group that guitar is. I mean, he leads this mm. life of no family and of um, just constantly exacting revenge and it becomes too much for him. He doesn't find any liberation in it. And so then the book opens with him trying to seek a new form of liberation by just ending his life. Yeah. Um, and so that seems to be the end point of guitar's point of view. Um, but I think it's significant that we, uh, at least I kind of view um, milkman as a sort of a, a curse breaker, right? Somebody who breaks this, this cycle of um, fatherlessness and um, trying to escape. Um, and instead, you know, his future is unwritten. You know, it could go anywhere. One thing before we end, I, um, I do want to uh, read aloud two scripture quotes. Um, one of them is from John 10, 10, in which Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then in Revelations, um, John hears a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall, shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. In, this, in these two passages, um, we see that, you know, death and, you know, mourning and crying and pain are things that these characters are attempting to escape from. And yet, Scripture promise that, promises and or tells us that, um, that the only remedy for these things is God actually coming in and dwelling with us, not us going out to seek something. Yeah, and Christ saying, you know, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came. And so it's not, we're not called to go seek it out, but we're called to. God is telling us, I will come and I will do all these and I will wipe every tear from your eyes and, you know, eradicate, eradicate pain and mourning. Um, and and so I guess you can connect this also to the books the characters mentioned um, in this discussion, but also to, to our life. What are we seeking to escape from? And how are we doing that um, as Christians? To the um, Revelation passage, I was actually reminded of another passage in Revelation 2 where Christ tells um, one of the churches that he will give the one who conquers a new name, um, which I think fits in really well with some of the themes of the book as of Song of Solomon as well, where naming is so important, but names also carry baggage with them. And... Uh, yeah, I guess to the question of what are we fleeing from? I think we often do flee from the obligations we have to other people or the relationships we have in our lives, um, which is one of the things Milkman is free fleeing from, for instance, um, afraid of that kind of commitment in relationships and um, fleeing from that. And we can end up, I mean, we live in a very individualistic world, um, we can end up like, I think it was Sartre was like, hell is other people. We, we can end up thinking that, but that's not, I think one of the characteristics that defines God, and it's a word used a lot, a term used a lot in the Old Testament, is his steadfast love. Mm. Um, the idea of being faithful, specifically within the context of a covenant, but being faithful to those you are bound to, always being there for them 
or always delivering on the obligations of your covenant. And we can't do that. We tend to run away. We tend to not show up, I guess, mm-hmm. um, when it's uncomfortable. But, um, yeah, uh, to what you said, Faven, about it's less about us seeking than God seeking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that, that, that's true. It's like we can seek all we want, but in the end, it's him who finds us. He's the shepherd. Um mm-hmm. And there's that poem, The Hound of Heaven, where the uh, poet Francis Thompson describes how he tried to run away and all, all the whole time there was the hound. He calls God the hound of heaven, like relentlessly pursuing him. Mm. Um, and he was l- running away, trying to look for meaning in other things. But it's him who finds us. He, we were not faithful, but when we are faithless, he is faithful. Mm. Um, we are not faithful to our obligations to our covenants to our commitments whether that's to other people or whether above all that's to god but he pursued us and to the point of death and uh showed us his faithfulness there and calls us to lives of renewed faithfulness the church is called to be yes a new family essentially um we are this is now the the church is now the family to whom we are committed in covenant and to whom we are called to be faithful yeah so yeah, you know, uh, the Bible describes us as uh, pilgrims in this world, as travelers without a home. Uh, I think uh, one one way that I interpret that in um, some contexts is also as refugees. Um, you know, Exodus certainly speaks to that. Um, but there are plenty of times, even in the Gospels, where people flee um, direct persecution. Um, and more broadly, we're, uh, I think we're called to flee from our sin um, that wants to enslave us in the language of Paul. Um you know, for whatever has overcome a man enslaves him. Uh, so be overcome by Christ, right? But um, yeah, I, I think uh, in this world we're, we're constantly going to be fleeing something, right? Whether that be uh, the forces of Satan or yeah. um, some kind of uh, a physical, um, you know, manifestation of evil um, or any number of things. And that's because we truly are um, without a real home in this broken world, you know, as Christians, we're searching for that real, that real home with the, uh, the treasure of heaven and the unconditional love of God, uh, that we yearn to experience, uh, and Faven, what you were saying was, um, making me think of this, right, that, you know, we're, throughout this book, we're, we're talking about fathers and the importance of, uh, family, but God is our, our true father in heaven, yeah. uh, and so how much more does he not care for us, um, and love us, and, take care of us in every way. And so I, I do think that that is what we are seeking, you know, and that is not purely a spiritual and, um, you know, forward looking thing to the last days, but we are also trying to bring about God's kingdom on this earth yeah. uh, and to build a, a Christian community uh, that loves each other and uh, embodies these things here on earth at the same yeah. time. You could say that we're called to fly and stand the ground <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. So good. That was really good. I think we can glow. We can close here. Thank you so much, guys. This was a really great discussion. Mm-hmm. Have a great week, Ben. Do you know our our contact information yet? <laughs> you, uh, um, Instagram at the Good Fight Pod. Mm-hmm. Email at witness the Good Fight at gmail dot com. Hey, good job, Ben. So proud of you. Good job. Yeah, so we've got one episode left this semester, and we'll just kind of be recapping all of the different topics and books we've looked at and um, hopefully um, see how all of this ties together. You know, what, what is the point of 
every week and then in a broad sense um so yeah we hope to see you next week and uh have a good week we'll see who'll be chosen for next week <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>